morning, everybody. I have one of those uh, automatic car starters. Uh, it's called Chuck Shirey. <laughs> so he gets bonus points from me this morning. <clears throat> Helen Keller, who if anybody here ever took a sixth grade social studies class in the United States knows, uh, was a young girl who was born blind, deaf, and dumb, but who miraculously learned to communicate. And she said this, she said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, so edgy, so risky. I'm not inherently a risk taker. In zero ways, actually. On our honeymoon, I've told you this before, Chuck and I were the only people on the island wearing helmets as we rode our mopeds. We were safe, but in no way cool. I always carry hand sanitizer. I use it immediately after leaving church so that I don't get whatever all of you have. Um, I actually, on a flight, am the person who gets out the safety manual, listens to the spiel by the flight attendant, And I know where my exit row is, thank you very much. So don't ask me when you can't get out. I'm going out. Back to Helen Keller. Of all the people in the world, you think about that young woman's circumstances. Of all the people in the world whose circumstances would have justified a cautious approach to life, it would have been her. But she chose risk over safety, and the world will always remember her. Mary, the mother of Jesus, a teenager at the time this all happened to her in a country and a culture that was oppressive to women, especially young girls who claimed to be pregnant by God's Holy Spirit. And of all the people in this world whose circumstances would have justified a cautious approach to life, it would have been her. But Mary chose risk over safety. She chose trust in God over trust in her own protective instincts. And the world has never been the same. So if you've been here these last few weeks, you know that we've been exploring the Christmas story through the lens of risk, through the lens of trusting God And if you were here last week, I got to listen to him online. You heard Kurt take a very interesting twist on King Herod and his very human unwillingness to allow another king aside from himself. What a contrast to Mary, this teenage girl from Nowheresville, from the clan of Nobodyville, with absolutely zero power in this world, and she doesn't blink an eye to trust God with everything. Mary makes King Herod look like a tiny, little, sissy, sissy, scaredy cat, tiny little boy. So let's look at Mary's story this morning. It's found, part of it, in the Gospel of Luke. In the very first chapter, I'm just going to read a few verses, starting with verse 26. And I forgot my glasses this morning, so who knows what I'm going to actually read. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. This is Messiah language now that the angel's using. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Or as my favorite translation reads, and I put this in your bulletin, nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So let's explore some risks that Mary took that we find in this story. And then I want us to think just a little bit about how God might be asking us to trust him, to take some risk in our own lives too. So the first thing Mary risked when she said yes to the angel, when she said yes to God, was she risked her reputation. When Mary whispered, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled to the angel. That young woman put every piece of her reputation, past, present, and future, on the line. She was so young. She was somewhere between 13 and 16 years old. She was pledged to be married to Joseph, but not yet married. And to become pregnant before the wedding meant that the neighborhood gossips would begin their verbal whirlwind of destruction as soon as her secret was out. And she knew this. And yet Mary was able to, in ways I can't even comprehend, ignore the certain threat of scorn from her community and overcome the fear that she must have felt inside, all because the approval of God, saying yes to him, mattered more to her than her reputation. And I am not sure I am that brave. Are you? Where might God be asking you to risk your reputation in order to say yes to him in some way? Maybe it is as simple as this Advent season, this Christmas season, just this next week, you're sensing that God is asking you to stop chasing perfection to risk your reputation as the one who can pull off the perfect Christmas. My reputation for that died many a year ago. (laughs) Maybe he's asking you to let some things slide this year so that you can celebrate the Prince of Peace rather than the God of the rat race. Now, I know it's too late 
to talk to any of us about sending out Christmas cards, but maybe we stop trying to get our perfectly posed Christmas photos to send out in our card next year. Maybe instead we send some things like this next year. That one, that's true, isn't it, parents? That's what your morning probably looked like this morning. This one, that's all of us not wanting to get out of bed. And here's my favorite, someone had an idea. Let's all wear our jammies. Take a photo. Just, I just want to give your eyes a chance to soak that up. <laughs> Maybe next year God is asking some of us to give up the Christmas light display that dims the entire Northeast Iowa power grid. You know who you are. And we laugh, you know, and I could keep coming up with more and more examples of this kind of thing. But it's real, isn't it? When... Oh, when will some of us be done trying to perfect ourselves, our spouses, our families, our homes, our images, our reputations? Some of us are perfecting ourselves and other people to death. And maybe this morning, God is whispering to us to just stop it. For some Maybe God is asking us to risk our reputation by taking Jesus seriously for the first time in our lives. Not just as a baby born oh so many years ago who gives us an excuse to give each other presents. No, this year, this year, maybe some of us need to take the risk to trust Jesus as the king of all kings and the king of our lives. And the truth is, doing that will almost always put our reputation right in the crosshairs of our friends and our families and our neighbors' scorn and judgment. And Jesus always knew this was the way for those who chose to follow him. He always did. There's so many examples of him warning his followers about this. I love this particular one in the Gospel of John. Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders of his day, his fellow Jews, and he's trying to explain to them who he is, and he's starting to argue with them about why they won't believe in him. And he says this, this we asked this one question. I think it was true for the people he was talking to, but for some of us it's true this morning. John 5, verse 44, Jesus says, How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Maybe God is asking you this morning, are you willing to risk your reputation to believe in the Savior of the world? Or maybe God is whispering to you to trust him to risk your reputation in, in some other way. Maybe you feel compelled to take one of those Christmas invitations to work this week or back into your home and to extend it with trembling hands to a neighbor or a friend or a family member of a colleague. And you, and you know you feel so scared in your heart that they're going to think of you as some kind of Bible basher, as some kind of Jesus freak, but you feel compelled by God this year to risk your reputation, to trust him, and to just say, I just wanted to invite you to a Christmas Eve service at our church. I don't know what it might be for you, but God knows my friends. And he's whispering to some of us. I know he is. Take a risk. I got your back. Your reputation means less to me than what I have for you to do in this broken world.
If teenage Mary, 2,020 years ago, can risk her reputation at the deepest level for our sake, we can do it for God's. The second thing that Mary risked was her future. Her future. In a different gospel account of Mary's story found in the gospel of Matthew, we read this, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew writes, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. When Mary said yes to God, she did not ask Joseph his opinion first. She just said yes. This was absolutely unheard of for a young woman in her day. And Mary, because she didn't ask Joseph, had zero idea how Joseph was going to respond to this news that she was about to try to explain to him. But one thing Mary did know, however, and I highlighted this in the text, was that Joseph, her husband-to-be, was faithful to the law. That's such an important part of our reading. Because once he discovered Mary was pregnant and he knew he was not the father, he was legally bound to divorce her. This is simply the Jewish law. This was not the day and age where a young girl winding up pregnant was celebrated in People magazine or had her own reality television show. And whether Joseph divorced her or not, which was he was bound to do by the law, she also knew that Jewish law stated that those who were caught in adultery, which is what everyone would assume happened, were to be stoned to death. Mary risked everything about her future, including her very life, to say yes to God. You see, this was no meek and mild little Mary saying yes to God with the breathless voice of an airheaded teenager. This was a young woman who looked her very uncertain future in the eye and bet everything on God. And I am not sure I am that brave. Are you? And I wonder this morning, where might God be asking you to trust him with your future? Where might God be asking you to trust him with your future? I think for some of us, especially young families, I watch you walk in here every Sunday morning. Now you got kids in winter boat, boots and coats, crying, diaper bags draped over car seats, over purses, over weary shoulders, kids wrapped up like mummies. I see all of you. It might literally mean trusting God with what happens after church today, that kind of future, that what happens in the next two hours kind of future. Do you know what I mean? That was my hardest time as a young mom when my kids were young. I had all these expectations. 
of a great Sunday afternoon in my home, of reading and peace and kindness and crafts and homey stuff and fresh cookies and familial bliss. And the reality was my kids were crabby, the house was sticky and messy, and Chuck and I were so tempted to just zonk in front of the television And the only craft that was happening in my home was a box of mac and cheese. (laughs) And I missed the actual beauty of the moments because it didn't fit with my idea of how the future should be. Or maybe for some of you, it's not just what's going to happen in two hours, but it's something that's facing you this week with your work or your studies or your finances, a relationship that's teetering on the edge, the thought that you might not survive the Christmas season without a complete meltdown emotionally or financially. Or maybe you have some longer-term concern about your future. What am I supposed to do with my one and only life? Or how am I going to afford retirement? Or how am I going to make it now that my spouse is gone? We trust our future to God when we stop obsessing about it. When we stop the what ifs and the what nows and the what's next, when we stop all of our own human efforts to control it, to fix it, to manage the outcomes, and instead we hand it all to God. And that's harder to do than it sounds, I know. And sometimes we have to do it over and over and over and over, but we hand it all to God, all of our future. And then we choose to live fully and gratefully and expectantly in this one moment right now. Like Mary, can I trust Jesus enough to leave my future in his hands so that I can actually live in the only moment he really promises me? Which is this moment, this one. Listen to what John Ortberg wrote. I think it was from a sermon called The Greatest Moment of Your Life. Doesn't that make you want to listen to it? The greatest moment of your life. And then I'm sorry to disappoint you, but this is what he said. He said, the greatest moment of your life is now. Not because it's pleasant or happy or easy, but because this moment is the only moment you've got. Every past moment is irretrievably gone, and it's never coming back. If you live there, you lose your life. And the future is always out there somewhere. You can spend an eternity waiting for tomorrow or worrying about tomorrow, and this is where so many of us live. And if you live there, you will likewise lose your life. This moment is God's irreplaceable gift to you and to me. Don't miss it. And as if those first two things, Mary's reputation, 
and her entire future, as if those two things were not enough for Mary to risk, as if those two things were not enough to send the most bold and faithful among us to our rooms, to our beds, to a fetal position with a gallon of Ben and Jerry's brownie bliss ice cream for a full weekend of mind-numbing Netflix, as if that wasn't enough. Mary didn't settle. She didn't cower in fear at this point. She didn't say to God, that is enough, God. Don't ask me to trust you with more. Instead, what Mary did, still in the very first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, is she spoke right to the power structures of her day. She spoke right to the unjust status quo around her. And this teenage warrior said to that unjust status quo, no more, no more. The third thing Mary risked was she risked challenging the status quo. And she did so in what's called Mary's song. This happens uh, in in the Gospel of Luke chapter one, starting with verse 46. I'm just gonna read to you part of this song and then I wanna talk about it a little bit with you, but I encourage you to go read the rest of it when you get home, Mary sings some praises to God. And then this is what she says, starting with verse 50. She says, his mercy, God's mercy, extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever and ever, just as he promised our ancestors. This wasn't some light little Christmas carol. This song, crafted by a pregnant teenager, is basically about flipping injustice on its head and reversing the power structures of the day. And those who heard the song or heard about it knew that what Mary was doing was announcing that her son, her baby, was going to be king over all kings, even over King Herod the evil, frightened king of Israel who overtaxed his own people, killed members of his own family, and then because he was so fearful of the baby Jesus, had all the baby boys around Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth murdered. To that kind of unjust status quo, Mary was saying, no more. She was saying, you may think Santa Claus is coming to town, but I'm singing a different song. Jesus is about to come to town, Herod. And so I say to you and to all your injustice, no more. And so here's a harder, tougher question for us to ask ourselves during this warm and cozy season. And that is, where might God be asking some of us to stand up to the status quo and to say, in the name of Jesus, no more. Maybe some of you, 
It might mean like Chuck and me saying no more to the crazy status quo of Christmas Eve plans that sent me to my fainting couch a few years ago. Now we just order Chinese food. Can I get an amen? Some of us need to say no more to status quo Christmas debt. I mean, it's so not worth it. I I had a garage sale this past summer and I bet 90% of what I sold was initially somebody's must-have Christmas present. No more to status quo, sugared up, overdressed, overtired, overgifted, overscheduled kiddos this season. We will choose simplicity and peace. Some of us need to say no more to the status quo of my own loneliness. I am going to seek out other people who are alone. I am going to seek out those who need my time and my service. And I am going to risk challenging the idea that nobody wants to spend time with me. But for some of us, I believe it. This morning, God may be urging us to consider a different kind of risk The risk of literally challenging some kind of unacceptable status quo that we see in the world around us. I think of some families in our church who are saying no more to children languishing in the foster care system or waiting desperately to be adopted and who are now either training to be foster parents or who are already taking in foster children and adopting little ones from all over the world. I think of people saying no more to neighborhoods that are being decimated and forgotten by our community and who instead of moving out are moving in and investing in places that other people turn their faces away from. I think about some of our families who recently took their children to Haiti to help say no more to global poverty and no more to American kids who don't understand how rich they really are. I think about some of our friends here at Orchard who are saying no more to girls who can't afford to go to school when they have their periods. And so they're banding together to create these beautiful hygiene kits that spell freedom and education and hope for poor young women. I think of friends at Orchard who are saying no more to the fact that people, when they come out of the criminal justice system, can't get a job and so they can't start their life. And so they started a program called Jobs for Life and they're helping train people in job skills and interview skills and helping people to find meaningful work in the name of Jesus. I think of some crazy women from Orchard who have said no more to loneliness at a laundromat in East Waterloo and who have headed over there on some Saturdays with pockets full of quarters and hearts full of compassion just to listen and to learn about the people in our community and to offer hugs and clean, free laundry in the name of Jesus. I think of one family Here at Orchard, I know, walking with and helping in every conceivable way a refugee family from Liberia. This family is saying no more to the loneliness and confusion people face as they start life in a new country. I could go on and on and on and on. But my friends, here's the truth. This world needs more Marys. I don't think we've ever needed more Marys more. Men and women willing to look at the unjust status quo right outside their window and who trust God enough to risk saying, not with a song, but with their lives, no more. 
King Jesus is in town. Mary risked her reputation. She risked her future. And she risked saying no more to the powerful status quo. Because saying yes to God mattered more to her than these things. And her son Jesus, 30 years after his birth, risked his reputation. He risked his future. He gave his life. And he risked chastising and standing up to the religious status quo in order to say yes to his father so that you and I could someday have the privilege to say yes to following him. How might God be asking you to trust him today? Let's pray. God, it is so easy for us to forget the danger of the Christmas story. It is so easy for us to forget that these were real people in real hard circumstances who had real faith in their hearts that the God of Israel who made promises to them would always come through and that therefore they could always trust him enough to risk everything for him. Thank you that we can reread the story with fresh eyes this Christmas season, God. And thank you that you love us enough to continue to call us, just like you did Mary and the Magi and Anna and Simeon. And just like you tried to call King Herod, but he refused turn our faces toward you again and to ask you the question, God, what do you want me to trust you with this season? How can I take risks for you, God, so that my faith will grow and so that you can use me to bless a broken world? Oh, God, I pray for people from Orchard Hill Church to trust you enough to ask you those questions and then to trust you enough to act. And I pray all this in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.